Our videos are brought to you by the comic books that we make uh, in stores now. Hulk Grand Design just recently released. Uh, what else do you got uh, coming Street soon? Angel. Street Angel Princess of Poverty is my next book coming out later this spring. You can pre-order that now from Image Comics. There's also Street Angel Deadly Squirrel Alive. Together, those books will comprise the complete Street Angel library at this point. So for all you completists out there that want all the Street Angel Add Street Angel Princess of Poverty to your list. And The Plain Janes, first young adult graphic novel available wherever graphic novels and books are bought and sold. And you can join me on patreon.com slash jimrug to see lots more of my work, originals, download out-of-print zines and mini-comics, and see what I am working on next. Big announcement coming soon. I am chomping at the bit, and some of you know what it is because you have the Google fingers, but I just need things to be a little bit more put together a little bit more tight before I speak about it. Big news coming soon. Can't wait to tell you about that. But right now, Red Room Crypto Killers issue one and two are being offered to your local comic shops. Uh, so go ahead and put in those pre-orders. Also, go to your local comic shop. And we have put together an incentive uh, program with uh, the Red Room issues. It is it is a limited time offer. Your shop knows what it is, but you have a chance of getting some of the Red Room variant covers that you did not get. We sat on a little surplus of them because just when you hit the button to print something, there's a little overprinting. So these comics cannot be sold in a traditional way. It has to, it has to be done in this other kind of way. Your shop is familiar with doing it. They do it with Image Comics fairly regularly. And we have this surplus stock that is very, very limited. Go to your shop. There are two or three different plans that your shop can participate in to get these Red Room comics. But grab the new uh, Crypto Killers issues. It is the 10-year anniversary of Hip Hop Family Tree. Four volumes of that, three volumes of X-Men Grand Design. There's WYSIWYG. I'm serializing the new Red Room stuff on my Patreon. And the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel has a Patreon account. And the King Kayfabers get all of our videos before anybody else mitigates the Kayfabe effect. Uh, makes it possible for you to get the comics before anybody else and uh, that aftermarket can get pretty pricey Welcome to cartoonist kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Is the Alan Moore BBC Maestro course Worth purchasing man is the topic of conversation today on uh, Cartoonist kayfabe, but, but first we have to let you guys know that there is a patreon uh, where you can support the cartoonist kayfabe channel uh, you get the videos earlier depending on your level of support you're getting all the videos earlier and uh, you have the potential to uh, see us stream uh, live recordings while making our videos uh, but the uh, videos are also brought to you by the books that we make uh, out on the stands right now I have uh, two trade paperbacks of Red Room four trade paperbacks of Hip Hop Family Tree three trade paperbacks of X-Men Grand Design there's WYSIWYG and I'm uh, currently soliciting the next round of Red Room Comics to your comic shop. Right now it's called Crypto Killers and two issues can be ordered by your shop at this very moment. Jimmy, what books do you have uh, I have out in a while? Hulk Grand Design, Treasury Edition, just hit stands this week, so definitely add that one to your shelf. Can't miss it if you go in a good comic shop and it's sitting there, fluorescent green, you can see it from outer space. Uh, Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive and The Plain Janes are both available right now in print. And my next book is Street Angel, Princess of Poverty, which you can pre-order now. That'll be out from Image Comics and together with Deadliest Girl Alive, that's all of the Street Angel comics I have made. So it'll complete your collection with no overlap. Those are yeah. two uh, two volumes that make a set there. You can also join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can see a lot more of my comics and art. You can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics and you can see what I am working on next. Yes, big announcement next week uh, as per the Eddie P. bibliography. Can't wait to tell you. Some of you guys know because you've been looking around online, man, but uh, more news on that later. 
Uh, the crux of this video though, man, let's talk about that BBC Maestro course that Alan Moore put together, of which I was targeted, added. Oh man, so much. So much on Facebook. And, and I say we answer the question of whether it's worth it at the end. Okay. So we'll build, we'll build to that because uh, it's a great question, Ed. It yes, did feel it like is. this uh, course was pushed hard and, and who knows, you know, obviously all of my social media is comics. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they know. Like, like they put the metrics yeah. in and out comes the cartoonist kayfabe dudes. I'm definitely somebody that the AI advertisers were right. You know, this is a guy to sell it to. Um, I wonder how heavily it was marketed to other comics fans, casual comics fans, readers, whatever. But it's like a master course yeah. or master class. You know, it's, it's basically Alan Moore going through really talking about writing as a craft. Yeah. I would say more than, say... You know, I have a million how-to books, and some of them are kind of like, start here. By the time you get to the end of this book, you'll have your short story, your script, your comic book, whatever whatever they're trying to teach you how to make. Yes. That is not how this class is laid out. It this is not is 101. Much more of a writing theory, maybe, would be the way to, to describe it. Yeah, I think, I think what is on display is you see... And the cool thing about all of these master classes, uh, because I've fucked with that one, I fucked with the Neil Gaiman. I think we'll talk about that in the near future. Yeah, yeah. The Aaron Sorkin, David Mamet, all the all these guys, and uh, you see, there's Venn diagrams, you know, and so much of what they talk about, like they all share. It's mm -hmm. like yes, okay, so these are the principles, these are the rules right. uh, of of writing. But with each of these guys, you get to see sort of where they place value. And where their their head is at the moment, you know, one of the the early vids that we did, we took a look at that Avatar, press, how to draw comics, the Alan Moore way, mm -hmm. however writing for comics, whatever it is, and it was a reprint of a set of essays he put together in 1985. It's pre Watchmen, Alan Moore talking about his procedures, uh, and he was predominantly a comic book writer at that moment, uh, but we now get to see the updated version, you know, see updated version of that sort of thing with color, you know, lots of color. We get to hear it from his point of view straight away. He does play the hits. Like if you've seen that mindscape of Alan Moore, uh, documentary from years ago, or even an earlier one, uh, where he is looking in the mirror, pretending to be Etrigan, the dragon and shit, uh, the, de the demon. Um, he taught, he says all the stuff from those old things is presented here but with uh with new ideas also um but it really is just it's sort of hit where his mind state is and the things that he keeps in mind while putting pen to paper but yeah it's not the kind of thing like he's presuming you're already a writer which is kind of how colleges work in a lot of ways like you you do you don't get you don't get a basketball scholarship to learn to play basketball you know what i mean like you are expected to be a performer and he's expecting you to already be a writer. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, he goes out of his way early on to say, well, to stick with the college course part, it would be a master, you know, it'd be you're going for your master's. Like yeah. you've got an undergrad in writing, I think. Right. Or at least you've done the workshops of like how to write something so you have a little bit of writing under your belt before you get into this. But uh, early on, he describes it as like, this is not a commercial writing class. Yeah. And I think that, he comes back around to that several times and it's it's an interesting point to keep in mind throughout the whole thing because he's really um to revisit some of his earlier thoughts on writing uh he disavows some of that stuff you know yeah. like like one of the things that stands out to me both from 
the original Avatar or wherever those essays were printed, he would talk about like transitions. And you see it a lot in like Watchmen, you see it in Killing Joke, you know, some of that early work where he's really going from scene to scene in these visually interesting ways, very conscious of like the format and, and kind of making it all tie together and stuff. And it's some of the stuff that I think was really sexy and a lot of people liked. But then in this series, he gets into, once you identify that you're using something, that you have some technique that is uh, possibly you're becoming known for, stop using it. Yes. And, and it's interesting because in that first how-to writing book, he's sort of uh, putting that out as like a technique that you may want to use and a technique yeah. that he uses a lot. And now he's, he's brought that back a little bit and he's kind of saying, you know what, that's not right. But here's the caveat. And he mentions this. If you're doing commercial work, you sort of find the formula that, that sells and then you repeat it. And it may be slightly diminishing returns, but you've got an audience that is coming back for that. And, and again, this is from the master's course. Uh, you know, this is not me paraphrase. Well, it is me paraphrasing, but it's not me adding this. This is something Alan Moore says very clearly. He's much more interested in this course, I think, in the idea of like, what can writing unlock in you? Yeah. How deep can you get into it? And I love all that stuff both in the introduction and the uh, the ending, he talks about, like, everybody should write. Yes. And I'm so on board. It might have been my favorite point of this, but it's not necessarily that everybody should expect to earn a living as a writer. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's an interesting distinction to make because I feel the same way about drawing in comics. Sure. I think there's a lot of benefit to drawing and, and to making comics or to writing or and to writing. Uh, but it's not always that it's got to be aimed at this is going to be how I make a living and pay the rent. Yeah. You know, I think there's benefit if you're just practicing it, just the thought process of kind of maybe mediating your experiences or your ideas. And, you know, a lot of writers talk about that as writing being a way to better understand what you think. Yeah. Put put together a, a new issue of, uh, of Red Room and my little victory lap that I always give myself is to go to the comic shop and go digging in the dollar bins, whatever. And I pulled out 25 or so. Uh, books out of the bin that um, are self-published comics from even 1990 of mm -hmm. like sh the kind of stuff you will never see ever again. Who knows how many 500 copies of these things? And uh, because it is fascinating to just see somebody really try hard and actually make a comic and see where their POV is at that moment. You know, it, it might be just a train wreck, but they did it and it's an accomplishment and it's very cool. To go along with his like this is not a commercial uh, writing course thing, was there was so much time at the end spent with the avant-garde and pushing the avant-garde. And, and he, he was like saying things like, you know, this is high-octane stuff. But uh, the subtext of that is like, you ain't making a dollar on this kind of shit, especially if you're a noob doing this stuff. And now you're going to like, I don't know, make a book that's a run-on sentence or something like this. You're done. Like, that's never going to happen. Uh, of course, man, we got to talk about the part that was kind of like sort of sandwiched in the middle. And it was almost he was always leading to it because he would reference his works. Let's talk about avant-garde a little bit more before we go to the kind of that heart of it. Because okay. I really that surprised me. I was shocked. I don't know. It's broken into sections. And I think he spends about four sections yeah, talking yeah, about avant-garde and, and both how it is. Talk about not commercial. If you were yeah. totally doing avant-garde, you may not sell. You know, your audience could be very tiny, potentially. But he also talks about bringing in elements of it, mm -hmm. avant-garde elements in your work, and almost makes the case of, 
you should do that. Go out of your way to try some of this stuff sure. that's different. It's formal play. And he does, he's really great with examples along the way of different writers or different books, uh, diff different, you know, citing specifics that kind of illustrate his point. And it'll be where, you know, very successful works may bring in something that would have been, that may have started as avant-garde and then becomes accepted as mainstream or it's one piece of a bigger story yeah. experience. And he makes points about how like having the audience do some of the work can actually make the audience have a stronger connection to the work. And yeah. I like those ideas. Um, it's a juggling act. You know, you can also alienate some people whenever you do these kinds of things. And it may depend on, on your audience a little bit. But it is a way to really kind of strengthen that bond between the writer and the work and the audience. Yes. Because if you connect to that audience who's doing a little extra work and finds it funny or finds it, you know, valuable... Now you've really strengthened that bond. So I, I like all that stuff. I was I was surprised to find it because sure. he spends so much time on this subject and goes in a number of directions. Like one other thing he talks about within that context is limiting what you do. And there have been these literary movements based on limitations, right? Like write a book without the letter E, for example. Uh, and that, which this, by the way, this is like Robert Anton Wilson, like created this whole idea. Yeah. And the way that I interpret Moore's uh, reasoning for this is one, it, it gets you out of that idea of like doing the same thing over and over. You know, it kind of makes your brain move in different ways. And the other thing that he says in the very beginning that runs through this is the idea of language is uh, magic or technology. Yeah. And I love that. Like sure. I'm, I'm on board for both of those things. But he has this idea that whenever you do certain things, it will it will sort of like fire up different neuropathways in your brain. Yeah. So if you maybe turn a noun into a verb, for an example, um, it almost like, turns your brain on of the reader, you know, that like something's coming up here. And some of those ideas I found really interesting. And it really feels like, again, not beginner writer stuff. No, this sure. is, you've been writing for a while and here are some ideas. Like if you're pretty good at your craft, you can work these in, yeah. you know, you can do certain things to stimulate your reader a little bit more at certain points. If you're going to try something different, or if you're going to have a point that you want that reader turned on at that moment, play with the language this way beforehand. So it's, you know, I enjoyed that part of it a ton, and it is not something you see in a lot of 101 books. Yeah, it's true. And uh, one of the things that he talks about uh, a lot is that he he goes and he he uses himself, he throws himself under the bus by saying that uh, when I decided I wanted to work in, in comics, I set myself with up, up with all of these goals and projects that I basically knew I was never going to complete. And uh, there is a thing that happens early in your run when you're teaching yourself how to uh, make comics in case of cartoonist kayfabe, we'll say, where, where you're being proactive and the incremental growth, like the growth is exponential for a little while. You're just like learning a lot really fast. It's like becomes very clear, like all the major things you're doing wrong. So you change them. And when you do that, like if you're like making a comic, four pages later, you may be so much better than before. So it's like, it doesn't make sense to finish, but he just stresses, you gotta finish. You gotta finish your stuff. And going back to the ultimate question, the title of this video, is it worth it? Yes, it is worth it, but, but it is not going to uh, teach you to be a writer. Uh, it is seasoning. Um, one of the things that all those kind of guru Gary V type guy, like like a, like a Gary V type guy, 
is like most honest i feel like when he goes in front of people and is like you need to do the fucking action don't buy this Alamore right. Masterclass. Don't buy this Neil Gaiman Masterclass. Sit there and do the fucking workbook and then go buy another Masterclass. Like, I use it as company while working on the actual stuff that I'm doing. Um, if you're just getting every how-to book and you're reading and you're doing all this theory, Jimmy, you and I know people who have $250,000 worth of comic book education can't do six panels yeah, in sequence him. that you can fucking read. Or that you can sell. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on all of that, Ed. In the beginning, you mentioned how these you watch a bunch of these master classes and they overlap. Yeah. That's what I got a sense of here. I think Alan Moore's pretty thorough in going through that checklist. I think of it almost as tools. You know, yeah. if you're writing and you've got your script or your novel or your short story, whatever it is, you could go through this master class and you could look at your writing through the lens, through yeah. each of these sections, the lenses from characters to research and place and setting and all these different pieces that, that Alan Moore does go through and discuss. Yes. Um, I think of them as tools. You yes. know, it, it allows you to sort of say something isn't working in this story I've written. And then you can almost checklist down item by item that Alan Moore describes. Yeah. You know, and, and, there, and it's loaded with quality. Like this yeah. is a very thoughtful, experienced writer who is, is coming in and talking about dialogue, you know? And I made tons of notes going through this because I was drawing and sort of like, you know, a comic book backing board, like next Close to me. piece of paper. Exactly. Um, but he's talking about things like, you know, resonant dialogue, avoid exposition, no throwaway dialogue. I, I don't know that there's anything major in this that I would disagree with. You no, know, sure. like it all made sense to me. And, and probably it may all be stuff that you could find if you were really, if, you, if you've pulled out your $250,000 worth of how-to right. books. Yeah. I don't know that, that Alan Moore is going against any of that grain. No, you know, these yeah. are tried and true ideas. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's supposing that you're a writer. He, he's giving you perhaps conscious incompetence to the things that maybe you didn't know that you didn't know. So he's bringing up the important points of what goes into the structure of a work, of a narrative. And now you pick and choose. And at least you're conscious of these things. You have these rules and these ideas in the back of your mind. I don't know that he stressed it too much in, in the thing, but I just imagine the overall gestalt is is rules of a fashion. But a lot of the other writers talk about rules and, and you know, Sorkin, you know, doing those those uh like that sports center TV show and Moneyball and shit like that. Like he, he has like sports references in his master class. And he would talk about like listen, the thing that the the thing that makes a game great is the rules. Like if you could just you know catch a football and go last Boy Scout and pull out a gun and shoot the right. guys like like that that fucks up the game. So like having like a, a structure and a rule set to think about like tools. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And one of the places he brings that up is in genre. Yeah. You know, he talks about that because genre is something that we have expectations for and, and sort of rules. And the idea is, yes, whenever you break one, then it does have extra impact. So again, the tools. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's end with uh, the, co the comics portion, which is the piece that uh, he would kind of tickle through the entire conversation because uh he would re refer reference his works you know and the guy has written more comics than he did screenplays that never made it to air or, or whatever so we get to hear his thoughts about like the you know the making of comics throughout but then he gives you the proviso like you like like the like the upfront preamble piece where he's like all right man i suppose we had to get here uh he tries to talk everybody out of making comics for a while um describing that you know comics needs to become a sort of a business where the authors are respected and 
this is probably the one piece I disagree with him about. And it's because at this point, I don't know if you can find a, let's say, a top 20 book publisher in the U.S. that doesn't publish comics now and treat the talent the same way they do the authors. Yeah, he's talking about Marvel and DC. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, the solution there is don't work for Marvel and DC if if this is important to you. Yeah. You know, Um, I find that part all really interesting just because it has changed so much. And yet he still seems fixated on sort of that model. And I get it. That was a big chunk of his career. He's made a fortune out, out of that, probably. But it's it's real different. It's it's very bizarre to me the way comics are in this country. You have one group that doesn't look at comics, don't think about comics. My parents don't, they don't yeah. know anything about comics. Then you have like people who read comics, and there are two groups. One is sort of like Wednesday, and the, it's Spider-Man and Batman people. character, yeah. character people. And then like... The other group would be like maybe manga or YA or I don't know what, libraries, bookstores. You know, it's it's sort of like these two different areas. And I was talking to somebody in the comics industry recently and they were talking about how, you know, Marvel, biggest publisher in the world. And it's like, it's not even biggest publisher in the United States. Not even the biggest publisher in comics. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, like as comics, it's, it's not really a very big publisher. You know, there's lots of publishers bigger than them in America and then in the world. This person was a comic shop owner. You know, like they're literally in the industry and have this perspective. And it was it was mind blowing to me to hear it because it's like that's demonstrably false. Yeah. Like numbers, there are numbers. numbers do not lie. Yeah, exactly. Like that's just not true. And yet their entire existence is built around that as being true. So that's bizarre to me. But that's really has nothing to do with the Alan Moore. It has very little to do with this Alan Moore master class. Sure, 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 sure. But it, but it is kind of funny and to hear him what, talk that. Yeah, but. what you're explaining is the blinders. Like yes. Alan Moore has a little set of blinders and, and the shop, that shop owner But moving forward on the Alan Moore comics stuff in this course, like he, he sets it up. It's in a part called media, consider media. And it's yeah. talking about like writing for different media based on what the media strengths are. And man, does he sing the praises of comics in that part. Yes. And it's, it's so great to think of like being a creative person with a story to tell and what comics can do. Yeah. And Alan Moore really goes through in this course and kind of describes some of those strengths and it's it's inspiring. He calls it two tracks, man. You got the textual track and you have the visual track and you could you know, he really talks about the amount of information that you could get across by having those those two tracks playing out once and the things that could be accomplished and I immediately started thinking about like the Miracle Man stuff. That was serialized in seven-page installments in Warrior Magazine, and very rich, uh, you know, episodes. That would be and maybe a whole issue's worth of a Marvel comic, you know, distilled down into seven seven uh, pages. Uh, the stuff that really kind of blew my mind, and I'm going to really try to adhere to, is the word count per page stuff that he got as like a hard and fast rule from Mort Weisinger. Mm-hmm. And it was something about like 200 something. 210 words a page. Yeah. I think Weisinger gave it to him as six panel grids would be 35 words a panel. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. You know, it's, it, it's one of those numbers that like I'm surprised we don't have this like inside and out memorized because you would think anybody that's making comics, this would be in every single how-to comic page one. And it's not in anything. And he says it in the, in the, in the thing. And, and uh, not only that, but you catch a glimpse, man. If you look up from your drawing uh, pad when, while listening, you see what Alan Moore's longhand workbooks are while he's scripting stuff out. And you see the thumbnails in there. And then you see, like, at the end of every panel, like, all the dialogue, he is a number with a circle. Like, he's counting the words 
that he is putting uh, on on the page, and and that that was that was a big takeaway for me, man. Yeah. To try to, to steal your ideas, so like here's here's the tasks. Like when it comes to like the dialogue in comics, it's like trying to distill it down into two hundred ten words max per page, but you have to advance the story. You don't want to show in. You don't want to tell what you're showing. Avoid redundancy. And then you want to, you want to, you know, his whole thing is like. I'd be able to identify characters without ever seeing them. So you need to give personality to that dialogue. These are tall orders. They are. This yeah. is this is this is tough, tough, right. tough work. I, I, like a lot of thought needs to be put into this stuff. And maybe you know it, maybe you don't. To hear a guy like that say it, it's in there now, and it's something to really consider, like moving forward. I think that's a big takeaway for me personally, because it's not that you get to the end of your script now and it's perfect. Like, it's never going to be perfect. No. It is, you get to the end of the script now, and maybe you go and give it one more read with some of this stuff in mind. Sure. You know, you try to make that dialogue better each time, and you'll get better. It's it's kind of a skill that you'll develop, but it's the knowledge of, like, aim for this. Yes. You know, try to do this thing, and try to do it better next time and the time after. Uh, it, it's amazing. A um, couple other notes that I, I want to call out before we wrap. We mentioned the avant-garde part being, like, this big section at the end. And I actually have that noted under a, like progress as notes. And so he talks about things like getting leading to repetition, success leading to repetition and things like that. Avant-garde applying some of those ideas is a way to break that that rep, that kind of pattern. Yeah. And so that's something that a few of these tools, I think, can be applied for. If you're writing and you're happy with your writing right now, you may not need this. Yeah. You know, this is one of those of like, I'm not where I want to be yet. So. I have written a bunch of stuff, but it's not quite there. Here are some things to kind of add in that progress thing. When you plateau, when you feel like you've gotten to a point and it's not where you want to be, but it's where you're stuck, Right. some of these tools may apply there. He also at one point says of procrastination, and this is a quote, the biggest problem in any field of art, getting your arse into the chair. Yeah. And I kind of love that he spends some time on this topic because I don't see a lot of how-to or master classes that do this or that say this. And it almost... It almost, I take it as thank you because I'm always fooling around, you know, and I may not think of it as procrastination. I may be sitting at the drawing table, but I'm still sort of like, oh, I'm doing this doodle or I'm on my phone or something like that. It's kind of nice to see it acknowledged by somebody like Alan Moore, who pretty prolific. You look at his body of work and yet it's something that he has, has obviously encountered to have note of it. And he cites some other author who writes about it. So what I'm saying there is it's nice to see these things that we all struggle with or most of us struggle with and knowing like even Alan Moore struggles with this, get it out of your system, get to work. Um, that that, can, that's, that's empowering for me. That can be so expanded upon too. Now Alan Moore famously is a guy that does not do co comic conventions and doesn't really speak with the comics public very, very much. Uh, but we do, and, and we are at conventions. And uh, certainly now with this platform of cartoonist kayfabe, there's a lot of feedback that comes in from many different vectors and uh, at this point it is very easy to identify the person who is in front of your face or through dms or text literally talking themselves out of participating in this very fun game that we are playing which is which is making comics these this very fun puzzle to to construct uh in front of your face they are they are talking themselves out of it well, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't know how to properly copyright my stuff. Like, how do I do that part? And it's like, no, like, you got to make the thing. And then uh, you got to make another. And then you have to make another. And you keep educating yourself. You keep learning. Uh, I 
am very confident in saying that like you take a look at my earliest works and my current works and there is dramatic growth. The hope is that it continues to be that way. And using uh, materials like the Alan Moore BBC Maestro course, having that play in the background uh, almost as an audiobook while uh, putting pen to paper, there's a motivational uh, aspect that's there that feels really good. And uh, it's, 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 it's getting in there. You know, I was the kid that, that, could, that would be sketching in class and getting yelled at uh, for doodling while I'm supposed to be taking notes. But they didn't understand that, like, right. it's in here. Like, just me doing this, yeah. it, like, what you're saying is in here, and I could use it. I always want to yell at all of my teachers in the past for that, because there has been a lot of research now that suggests that the doodling will actually increase the retention levels. Yes. You know what? It, I just remembered from the beginning, Alan Moore talks about early on in his career, like, deciding, like, he's going to take any job he gets. Right. But then... How do you make that job interesting to you? Yes. And, and how important it is to do that. I used to say that about illustration jobs, you know, like I, I enjoy illustration for the most part because it's usually doing something I wouldn't do normally. Yeah. But there's also the challenge of like, you got to find a way to make that composition something that you're excited to draw. You know, you got to take that assignment and then you got to make it the thing you most want to be doing. Right. And so Alan Moore describes that early on in terms of like, hey, if you're if you're going to try to do this professionally, you do got to take those jobs but then you got to make those, you got to elevate those jobs somehow. So I, yeah. I think that's a really good tip for everybody. Sure. Because in this field, man, if it's, if you're not, if the job you're doing in front of you is not the one you want to be doing, it will show. It, absolutely. I mean, we've got, like, you see all these here? <laughs> you see all of that? There's a lot of that in there. Uh, the the opposite is true also. And and that's a big tenet of Alan Moore. I don't know if he, he uses it there very much, but he certainly does on that old mindscape of Alan Moore where he's like, you have to put 100% energy into the work for it to be effective. And if you don't, like it shows, uh, that's that's where the jobber talk comes from. It's people churning out stuff on a reliable basis, just kind of getting it out of their system. Uh, you have to find those pieces to, to, to keep yourself excited. He mentioned stuff like football and things, like, like sports stuff. Like, has no interest, but he will find the things that are interesting right. in that exploit that to to his ends and every element is like that yeah. you know it's like research the place research the history research this character and it and it, another it way to say it is find a way to make that character interesting that fourth lead in your in your story you know the these other details like make them all mean something to you yeah and, and for the and for the, the comic kids out there like he goes into great detail about his thought process of uh constructing Swamp Thing and, mm -hmm. and re-engineering Swamp Thing, man. Looking at the issues that we looked at just a couple weeks ago when he's like, that Dynamite was right near his face. <laughs> he's dead, isn't he? <laughs> isn't it interesting how our British friends, like they have that question at the end of their sentences? Yes, it's great, isn't it? Didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So yeah, Ed, to answer that question, I agree. Yeah. I, I think it's well worth it. But my reason for thinking it's worth it is because you get Alan Moore possibly the most successful Marvel DC work for hire scriptwriter in American comics. You get hours of him really kind of like talking about it. It's his words, like literally it's yeah. his words and having that on record. Absolutely. It, it makes me sad for the previous generations that we don't have audio and video of them, you know, really talking and, and just telling us what they know. So here you get several hours of Alan Moore doing it. I mean, that that in itself is priceless. Like, it's part of what we've been doing lately on Cartoonist Kayfabe is like, let's get some of these people to tell us about the, the works that they've made because 
why can't we have a record? Like, we have to have records of this if we can do it. And it's a really great record by Alan Moore talking about what he's done. So yes. that's pretty amazing as a comics fan. And I think that we should uh, go get some more stuff on the record, yes. uh, Jimmy. So if you're good, I'm good. K favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are available. And we do have a Patreon. Uh, so if you support the Patreon, depending on your level, you're getting one or all of our uh, videos before uh, anybody else. And if you are supporting us at the highest level, get to live stream um, most of our recording sessions uh, so that you see the stuff before we even edit the videos. Jimmy, tell the people what you have out there, man. Hulk Grand Design, Treasury Edition, Street Angel Deadliest Girl Live, and The Plain Janes are all now out and available in book format. You can pre-order Street Angel Princess of Poverty coming out later this spring from Image Comics to complete your Street Angel set. And you can join me on patreon.com slash jimrug to see lots more of my work, download out-of-print zines and mini-comics there, and see what I'm working on next. Red Room Crypto Killers, issue one and two, are being, being solicited to your uh, comic shop at this very moment, as of this recording. There are two trade paperbacks out there right now. Uh, I'm very excited to tell you guys about a uh, secret project that is not so secret, but it's not exactly where I want it to be at this very second. Uh, so more news on that later. Uh, there are four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree out there in the wild. There are three volumes of X-Men Grand Design. I'm serializing the new Red Room stuff on my Patreon before it hits paper, and all those links are in my link tree in the description below this video, which also has a pre-order link to buy the secret project now that I think about it, man. Jimmy, give these guys their marching orders and uh, let's get out of here. Make more comics.